So over the next four weeks, we're going to be in this series called No Ordinary Family. And I know some of you have probably already looked at the front page of the program and seen what the categories or topics are going to be over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about what it looks like to be single and married and with kids. And I just want to, on the outset, let you know it would be a mistake if you were to assume that if you don't fit into one of those categories, then that Sunday or that message would not apply to you. Because the truth of the matter is, all of us are connected to someone in those categories and even more. And so we're going to be talking about what those look like. And I'm just kind of curious, just by a show of hands, how many of you feel like you grew up in an ordinary family? Okay. That was, actually, I was expecting nobody to raise their hand, so I, that was more than I was going for. I, I know many of us growing up at some point, maybe as kids, thought at some point, man, my family's a little bit different than everybody else's. Particularly, I know for me, it was kind of like, why am I not allowed to do what that kid's allowed to do? I mean, they get to watch all these cool shows, that, you know, they get to watch these movies or some, they get to go over to the sleepover, my parents aren't letting me go to this party or this thing, and you realize, man, there's, there's something different about other people's families, something different about my family. That, like, at some point, we start to recognize, man, I don't know if anybody's family is really the same. Mine doesn't really seem very ordinary, and all of our experiences come to come to play in how we define what an ordinary family looks like. So if you were to Google family and look up the Google definition for family, here's what you would find. A group consisting of parents and children living together in a household. <laughs> Man, there's so much more that goes into that, right? <laughs> I, mean, I didn't even hold a can. A group of people who are related to one another by blood or marriage. Uh, the children of a person or couple, a person or people related to one and so to be treated with a special loyalty or intimacy. My favorite is a group of people united in criminal activity. (laughs) And so I kind of, as we talk about this, that's the definition I kind of want you to be thinking about, a group of people united in criminal activity, because that's kind of us. I I mean, I'm not saying, like, I've I've looked up all your records and stuff like that. I've told you guys I've been arrested before, and that, maybe, actually, maybe I haven't mentioned that. I'll save that. I'll save that for later. Uh, that's a great story. I've been saving it for the perfect, uh, for the perfect message. Anyway, uh, back to the, the current message. We're kind of like that as a church. The, the Bible describes us as a family, and we're a bunch of people who are broken, imperfect people who have come together to worship and live together as a family, as part of God's family. And that's kind of what we look like. I mean, there are no ordinary families. How we define an ideal family probably impacts how ordinary we feel. I mean, how, what do you think of in your mind when you think of what an ordinary family is? It a husband and wife, two kids, and a dog? It wouldn't be a cat. Be a, be a dog. Drill down a little bit more specifically. What does an ordinary Christian family look like? What does it look like to be a part of God that some of you did not grow up as part of a Christian family? So, what does that what does that look like for you today? You ever watch The Simpsons? All right, they're on what? What season are they? Twenty nine or thirty? Is this year thirty? I, I know they just keep keep on going. And you you've seen their family, and there's the the classic normal ordinary American family. But you know about the Flanders, right? They're next door neighbors. They're the Christians, and maybe you've seen that stereotype sending the kids off to the judgment camp, you know, so they can learn how to judge people properly. And they put on this perfect facade. They've got all the answers, and they do everything right. And I think a lot of times this is kind of the picture that we have in our minds of what the ideal, ordinary, perfect Christian family should look like. And if I were to ask everybody to raise their hands and say, how many of you feel like you got that down? 
that you're an ordinary Christian family, probably none of us would raise our hands. I know I wouldn't. Family can be crazy. You look through the Bible, and I don't know that you're going to find many ordinary families in the Bible. When lives intersect, there's always a potential for problems and dysfunction and things to not be ordinary. But is there a place that we can get as families and as a family of God to where we can, no matter what pops up, whatever craziness comes about, because it will, that we can weather that storm and we can be in a place where as a family we are strong and we're committed to each other and we are pointed toward God. We're going to be looking at that. And we're going to be looking in the Bible at Deuteronomy chapter 6 like Lisa mentioned. Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's, it's toward the beginning. You might think, oh, that, that's the Old Testament. I thought we were in the New Testament. And Jesus has come and it's a little bit different. But there are some uh, unending principles of God that he shares with his nation, the Israelite people, that still can impact how our families operate and live out today. So we're going to be looking at the second book of law in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And there's... Um, the verses that we're going to be looking at, 4 through 9, they all begin with a very specific word that is very significant for the nation of Israel. It's called Shema. And Shema, you want to say that? Shema. Shema. You did great. Awesome. Uh, all it means is listen up. You need to hear what's about to be said. And the Shema became this really important term and an important phrase for the nation of Israel. In fact, it's part of a prayer that is said, if you're still, if you were to be uh, an Orthodox Jew and still practicing, every morning and every evening you would still say the Shema, and more specifically the Shema Yisrael, because in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, we read the words, hear, O Israel. So listen up. This is a point in time where God is speaking to the Israelite nation and saying, hey, if you've missed everything else I've said, this is what you need to pay attention to. And so here's what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it's that foundation that as Moses is writing to the Israelite nation and declaring who God is that helps the people to understand what they need to be basing their family on. Eventually, it became, uh, became uh, everything, verses 5 through 9, were included with that verse 4 and became the Shema Yisrael, and it's repeated day and night, even still today. And I want to show you today that how this concept of Shema, why it matters that the Lord is our Lord and the Lord is one, will make our families stronger. It's a concept that will take your family maybe to a place where a lot of times when they intersect, you think, oh, no, there's going to be a collision where that intersection may actually take you in the same direction. In Jesus' time, the Shema was so prevalent and so powerful that when the uh, religious leaders of the day would come to try to trap him and say, hey, what is the greatest commandment in the whole Bible? It was the Shema that Jesus referred to. Because just after that verse 4, as Moses continues it says, we've, we've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so Jesus affirms that. It says, this is, this is the greatest commandment, and the next is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Which is why, as those people are trying to trap him, they realize that, man, Jesus is a lot wiser than maybe we think, and he's going to be more difficult to trap. Because this, this ingrained idea of who God is and how this should affect everything that we do was something that even Jesus recognized and acknowledged in his ministry and his life which makes sense. He's the Son of God. So look at what the passage says. It continues in verses 5 and 6. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 and 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And this, this is the foundation of the matter. If you're concerned at all with wanting to do family in a different way or wanting to not be just an ordinary run-of-the-mill family that has the things that they deal with and not really sure how to move through it, I'm not saying this is going to provide magically all the answers to every specific situation that you have in your life, but this is the foundation that if you build your family interactions on this, this will take you far in the way that God wants us to interact and be a family together. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. With all your heart and your soul and your strength, if you make a part, it a part of everything that you do every day, loving God with all of this, that will make an extraordinary family in your life. So how do we fortify our families with this concept of the Shema? Well, the next verse is key, verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you, get, when you get up. I don't know what kind of impressions you've had about God uh, growing up or what your church experience is like. Maybe you've had none. But growing up for me, uh, church was boring. <laughs> uh, church was getting dressed in clothes that were really uncomfortable and I didn't really appreciate. Church was not being able to wear tennis shoes, which I wear all year round because they're really comfortable and I like them and I don't like wearing uncomfortable shoes. I don't know what your interaction with what and who God is and what's been impressed upon you, but this idea of impressing, this idea that we're supposed to love the Lord our God with everything that we have is fulfilling this idea of being a strong family that God wants for the nation of Israel. And, and when, we, when we say this, um, God is talking to the whole nation of Israel. And so this is not an idea where, well, I have to have kids in order to be able to fulfill this. No, everything that we do in our life can be an impression that we leave on other people about who God is. And this is not about us saying, oh, you know what we really need to do? I need to take this person to my life, and I need to drag them kicking and streaming to church because that's going to be the thing that finally fixes everything. No, that's not going to be it. It's going to be in the day-to-day living of your life that impresses upon people in your life who God is. Forcing them to sit down and listen to our lecture, that doesn't work. God is smarter than this. It's not about us giving the right speech or the right sermon or the right message. It's about living the right actions along with our words that impress God who impress God upon people about who he is. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. All throughout the day, this is something that we can do in our lives. And so that brings us to our first principle, what it looks like to not be an ordinary family, is that there are no ordinary moments. In your life, there are no ordinary moments. As a Christ follower, you are indwelled with the person of the Holy Spirit. There are no ordinary moments in your life. So as you're talking with people, let's, I mean, kids are a great example. I have some kids. Um, I have three. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and, uh, and there's some things that Renee and I made a commitment to early on with our kids when they have questions, for example. Talk about teachable moments. Some of you know what those are. And we committed to, when they ask us a question, we are going to answer them as truthfully as we possibly can. They ask us a tough question. I've had to give some pretty interesting answers, you know, because they're here stuff and they're exposed to things that they want to know. And part of that is to say, not just, hey, dad, why is there, why is there war? Well, you know, because people suck. 
And we live in a broken world. And, and, it's, and it's tough, but you know, you know what's great is that there is a God who loves us so much that even when we feel like we have so many irreconcilable differences with someone else, we don't have to go to war with them. We can live life in a different way. Or take a, you know, a second at a, at a baseball game and say, man, you know, it's, it's beautiful out here. The weather is incredible. It's amazing. It's like, yeah, man, it is great. Isn't it cool that, that God allows us to be able to experience this kind of beauty, this side of heaven? And I'm not saying you've got to Jesus juke people all the time. Do you know what a Jesus juke is? It's when you do like, like, oh, it's beautiful out here. Yeah, God created the earth. I mean, it's kind of like, whoa, all right, you, you, kind of, you kind of threw me off there. But it's a way of suggesting how we interact and how we live our life is based on this idea that we love God with everything and that he impacts how we interact and live out our lives. There are no ordinary moments. That's how my parents interacted with me. You know, I'd ask them, hey, why, <laughs> why can't I go do this thing? Why can't I watch that show? Why can't I play that game? Why can't I watch that movie? And they'd say, well, because, and of course I didn't appreciate this as a kid, but they'd say, well, because it's not something that would honor God. Or because we're, we're trying to accomplish something a little bit different with our family and how we're following Jesus. And I get it. You know, uh, you may not be convinced that the Lord your God is one. You may not be convinced that we should be loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I, I, I tell you, if you start to live your life with these kind of principles and have the words of God written on your heart and let those kind of impact how you interact in this world, you'll have no ordinary moments and you'll definitely start to experience a family that only isn't ordinary, but it's more extraordinary than you could imagine. Impress them on the people that you call family. And then the verse wraps up with a really strange idea. Tie them, tie the commandments that Moses is referring to. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So if you want an idea for uh, discipline for your kids, say the next time you do this thing, like you back talk me, say you're going to have to wear a Bible verse on your head to school. Right? That's exactly, that'd be great. They would love it. Post-it note, you know, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And just pop it on there, and that would be fantastic. All right, maybe Moses isn't really looking at this as a punitive uh, measure, but actually some of the leaders in the Israelite nation, they would actually make these little leather boxes and write, um, write verses on there and tie them around their foreheads as part of their, they're called phylacteries. And, and they would actually put this into practice. And, and Moses isn't talking about this literally, but I think he might be cluing us in on the second principle of not having an ordinary family, and that is having no ordinary reasons. And so when, you, when you're talking with people about why you are the way they are, well, maybe that's a whole other discussion, but about why you're striving to be the kind of person that you are, that's not just for personal reasons, or it's not just because you want to have a better life, but it's because God has created and invited you into a very specific type of life. That one of the reasons why Renee and I have um, the fruit of the Spirit hanging in our front hall is not just because our kids did a cool, you know, art project at arts camp, 
but because that's something that we want them to be reminded of and have the reason for why they do what they do and why we do what we do as a family. We want them to be reminded of things like trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but all in your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Why do we trust in God? Well, this is why. Or, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Why do we live the way that we do? Why do we care about God's commandments in our life? Well, this is why. We have no ordinary reasons. We're teaching the people who are around us, not just our kids, but our friends, why we act the way that we do. It's because of what God's word has to say. Now, you've got to know it in order to live it. So hopefully you're reading it or listening to it or interacting with it and trying to put it into practice. But when your family and the people around you ask why, you need to be able to point them to who. Because it's not just about giving the right answer. It's also about living out who God has called us to be. It moves us from ordinary to extraordinary. When your heart, your very heart, is the message of the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, you're going to find yourself in a situation that can redirect the people in your life and your family. See, the final thing is that there are no ordinary interactions when we live our lives this way. I don't know what your family gathers around and what they intersect around. Maybe it's a sports team. Maybe it's family dinner. If you can ever make that, make that happen where you have everybody together in one place where you're sharing a meal together. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's a show, a movie, go to a game, something that your family gathers all around. I don't know. Maybe the only unifying thing is bi- biology. And so Christmas is like, okay, yeah, I'm here because I have to be. You know, it's part of my obligation But the problem is, is that with these things, if we're only intersecting with these things, it's just, it leaves us empty. This this is not the thing that holds us together and moves us forward. These things, they're earthly, they're great, they're meant to be enjoyed. I think God gives us graciously all good things for those reasons. But, man, if they're not built on a foundation of loving God with everything, then we end up with an interaction that ultimately it, it just creates problems more than anything. If we instead could rally our family around one central thing, if we could rally around the Shema and say, this is the foundation we're going to build upon who we are, that's what takes your family from ordinary to extraordinary. The directions change. We collide at an intersection, yeah, maybe. Maybe we have a blow up and maybe we have a fight, but when we're all moving in the same direction, and we recognize that, hey, this family is committed to being built on the foundation that what we do is going to be pointed to God and loving him with everything, that's what gets us going in the same direction. It puts us as individuals, because look, we're, we're individuals, but it takes our own individual motivations and it puts those to a side, and that is what ends up getting us all moving in the same direction together. If you were to look through all the dysfunctional families in Scripture, and there are a ton, you would see generations begin to fall away from God, and they stop following him, and you think, man, how how in the world can there be a correction in that? How can you get a whole nation of people to somehow, much less a family, right, to start moving in the same direction? And we know where it comes from. 
is every once in a while in a generation, it took one person who would stand up and who would say, listen up. I know there's much craziness going around, but the Lord our God, he is one. And I'm going to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is the direction that we're going to head in. Probably uh, one of the best examples, my favorite example of this is a guy named Joshua. Um, He saw that many people in his family, his entire nation, they're not directed toward God. They're not living for him. And so he gets up in front of them and makes a speech in Joshua chapter 24. And he says, in verse 14, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if you don't know the history of the Israelites, they spent 400 years in slavery before this point, And they had brought all the baggage that they had with them. And I'm talking about worshiping idols. I'm talking about you know, not even necessarily knowing completely who God is because of all the cultural influences they had as a result of that. And he said, you guys are still holding on to all of these things that are keeping you from loving God with everything. In verse 15, he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose something. He says, at least make a choice. And don't just keep wandering around in life. He says, choose something for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, it will serve the Lord. And what ended up happening is Joshua redirected an entire generation of people because he took that stand. And each time in future generations when someone would take that stand and say, hey, you know what? I think we might be focused on, on the wrong things, and maybe we kind of need to redirect, and maybe we're being driven by some things that we shouldn't be driven by in our family. Maybe it's, maybe it's youth sports. That's determining our schedule. That's determining what our family is. I mean, we're in, I mean, we're in youth sports right now as a family, so I'm not just saying and looking out at that, but maybe, maybe this is driving us too much in our life, the extracurricular activities that we're in. Or maybe, maybe it's about the vacation home or trying to get to the hot tub or that, hey, the only thing we're trying to do is get through the week so we can make it to the weekend and go do this other activity or this thing. Whatever it is that's driving you, is it driving you to, to God or is it driving you to some other experience that's really ultimately temporary? If we want the strongest family we can have, we've got to rally around this idea that God is our foundation. And that principle is where our rules as a church comes from. We say no perfect people loud, no one stands alone, everybody's story matters because this is a family. And this is not an organizational promise. That's not what those rules are there. It's like, well, this is what you get when you come here. This is our product that we're selling. No, this is what we are inviting each other into as a family to live out among each other. So what does it look like for you to take the stand that Joshua did right now in this place in your life? And I get it. I mean, there are places in our family that I know we feel like, now this is probably over. And that my ability to influence the situation is probably done at this point. But I'm telling you, man, if you allow yourself to recognize that there are no ordinary moments No ordinary reasons, no ordinary interactions that we have with each other, whether it's our blood relatives or our kids or the people in this room, the people at your workplace, you will begin to see a change 
Maybe it's not immediately. Maybe it's further down the road than you want it to be, but you will begin to see a change in how the impact God has left in your heart begins to impact the people around you. We all have family. Blood or otherwise. We all have people we intersect with. Someone has to take a stand. Someone has to break the cycle of ordinariness or brokenness. And that can be you and it can be me. And we can stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let me pray for us as we consider what that next step for us looks like in our lives. God, um, this is, it's a lot easier to try to be ordinary. It's a lot easier to try to go with the flow, um, to maybe just stay in the moment without considering what the future implications are. Um, But you've also called us to live on earth as it is in heaven. And God, we ask that you remind us through your Holy Spirit, of how to do that in our day-to-day living. That there are always opportunities in just getting up in the morning or laying down at night or how we're walking through life to impress you upon the people that are in our lives. So, God, we ask you to give us the wisdom uh, and the the ability to do that, the recall from our study of Scripture uh, and of how we can be reminded of what your commandments are and how they're written on our hearts so we can share those with other people. In Jesus' name, we ask all this. Amen.